Welcome to another podcast by InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting. And I'm your host, Tommy Ashley. I'm joined by Buck Sanders, and we've got Mike Ingersoll with us. And Mike, you know I had to get you on the show with all the issues the offensive lines had over the course of the last few weeks. So I'm going to just get right into it. I mean, you're former offensive lineman for Carolina. You know what they go through. You personally know what they go through. So tell me what in the world's going on with this bunch at Carolina, and why is it so difficult for them to have some consistency, some chemistry building in preseason camp like like you should be doing? Your take on, on pretty much this mess, for lack of a better term. Well, yeah, it's a mess, and the news came out today that young man Cohen is off the team again, and that's that's his own decision like it was before. Apparently, it's some of the same, or it's, it's the root of it is the same problems as before, but it was a personal decision for him, and it comes at a real inopportune time. I know Coach Cap thought the world of him. Kid had earned himself that he came back. You know, people remember a few, you know, a few years ago when he came on the team, he was a scholarship player, highly regarded recruit out of high school um, ended up quitting the team had personal personal issues and made a personal decision to leave took a year off came back he came back this time as a walk-on and they put him all the way at the bottom of the depth chart and he fought all the way through camp made it all the way into the starting lineup he was the starter and for personal reasons again has decided to leave the team and it leaves a big hole and it leaves a lot of questions because there's there's an injury bug apparently on the offensive line too. Now we've got Bentley Spain is down with a knee that's not as severe as first accounts thought it might be. He will be back. We just don't know when exactly. Um, it might be the Cal game. It might be later. That hasn't been determined. And we've got we've got some gaping holes in there at guard because uh, if you've been following it also, you know that Tommy Hatton is down. And as far as we know, that's that's just injury related. That's fo- completely football related. And the plans are, the intent is that he'll be back. We just, again, another one, we just don't know when. So we've got, we filled some holes in the offseason with some transfers, especially on the offensive line with Cam Dillard at center. Problem is now going into, going into week one, you know, now five, six days before the first game, we don't have any guards. And our All-American left tackle is, our projected All-American left tackle is down also. So, you know, I don't know. I was, I was, we were joking before the podcast, and kind of, kind of the way I put it was, you know, offensive linemen, we do everything together, right? We, we go out to eat together, we go to the movies together, we go to the same bars together, we, we quit the team together, we all get hurt together, we do everything together. So, you know, I don't think this is the kind of you know unity and chemistry thing that you know we talk about when we talk about the offensive line being one solid unit. You know, everybody marching to the same drummer i don't think we meant for it to apply to injuries and uh and, and leaving the program for uh, obviously personal reasons and, and, and some stuff that he's, he's dealing with and we hope he gets through it with uh, cohen but it's kind of the perfect storm of bs and i know it's the coaching staff won't ever admit this but i know it's stressful on them but coach i did speak with coach cat he's very confident in the guys he's got coming up behind some of the guys that are now departed or hurt and uh, and they've been getting the reps that they've been able to get them, which is more than these guys expected to get at the beginning of camp. So, you know, there's some experience, and it, it looks to me a lot like, for folks that remember, you know, the week before the LSU game in 2010. 
and uh, some guys stepped up and played and ended up getting themselves drafted off of that game, you know, four years later in their career. So, you know, hopefully we can wish for the same thing here. But, but yeah, it's just like it's a long answer to a short question. I apologize. But, yeah, there's a lot going on. And uh, they've got some holes to fill and some questions to answer. But we'll get into how they're going to answer that here in a second. But Ingersoll went there and brought up that LSU game. And, of course, we'll never forget that with the bus watch and the – everything else watched that went off went on that week and leading up to that game. And yet Carolina still managed to be in position to win it, but for a drop touchdown pass, pass interference, whatever you want to call it. So going into Cal, clearly Cal's not as tough as LSU and Atlanta would be, but still they're a P5 college football team. And Carolina's had trouble to say the least opening seasons with P5 teams. But in your memory, aside from 2010, and that was totally unrelated to what's going on now, have you seen a preseason camp for one position group that's been as disjointed as this one has? And what do you expect on Saturday? Well, uh, as to the uh, position group, it was a couple of two, year, two, three years ago. There were several people on the defensive line that were hurt or quit the team or they had a major situation there on the defensive line, but I don't remember it being this extreme. You know, the, they're going into the game with, as I'm looking at it now, uh, Charlie Heck and William Sweet at tackle, both of them, I think started one game last year. And, and then you've got Cam Dillard who has started a lot in his career, but never for UNC. And the guard situation, who knows how that's going to shake out. Probably Nick Polino, maybe at left guard, the right guard situation. Fedora announced that RJ Prince would be the starter. Um, who knows what's going to happen between now and Saturday. So yeah, it's been it's been pretty severe. Hatton and losing or not having Hatton and not having Bentley Spain. That's two pieces of the chessboard off the table right there. Unless Spain miraculously is healthy enough in time to play for Cal, and then he hasn't really practiced any. So it, it's a it's a pretty big mess. Uh, Rogers quit the team and then came back. So, uh, there's, there's just a, so many moving pieces there. And, you know, the thing that you want to see, and you've, you've spoken to it, Mike's spoken to it. You'd like to see, you know, five guys get through camp together with some experience and cohesion there to get to the first game. But we're a long way from seeing that. Uh, that's for sure. Mike, you've been there. You've been through these camps. We've talked about that before on this podcast, but I don't know if folks realize away from it, like fans or whatever, realize what it's all about. So just in a nutshell, and you can give a long answer to a short question. We We enjoy that stuff. But in a nutshell, how tough is it? Uh, to be an offensive lineman in college, any lineman, but your specialty, offensive lineman. I mean, it's not, it cannot be easy 
for these guys. But still, your take on that? Well, it's you know my my experience is the same as a lot of offensive linemen's experiences coming into college, and that's uh, I was a converted tight end, so I came into Carolina as a 255 pound tight end, and that's where I thought I was going to play, and that's where I wanted to play, and then I got. With Coach Bunning's staff, I got put on the – you know, they, they converted me onto the offensive line. I was playing center, guard, tackle. Butch Davis came in, moved me back to uh, – moved me back to tight end briefly, so I had to drop 25 pounds. I was already up to about 280. Had to drop 25 pounds, get back to 255. And then once I got back to 255, he said, hey, we're going to put you back at center. So then I was a 255-pound center, having to block people like Shelton Bynum and Kentuan Bomber, future first-round pick. You know, and I had to never snap the football before and then having to go play tackle uh, once they bumped me out to tackle. And that's kind of where I came in, settled in. For linemen, the hardest thing is adding weight and then learning how to play at that weight because you learned how to be an athlete at, you know, most kids coming out of high school, unless you're just a freak or about, you know, if you're going to play offensive line, you're usually about 270, maybe 275, or you're a, you're a 255, 260-pound tight end, right? throwing on another, you know, couple 20, 30, 40, maybe 50 pounds. You know, you have to you have to relearn how to be an athlete at that weight. So that's that's the hardest part from a physical standpoint. Mentally, I mean, it's a completely different ball game in terms of playbooks. I mean, in high school, you you know, you could fit your whole playbook, your whole weekly game plan for whoever you're playing that Friday night. You can fit all that on a one page, all your blocking schemes. Everything you need to know can be fit on one piece of computer paper, one-sided usually. A game plan in college, I mean, it's it's literally a spiral notebook with about 40 pages in it. And you're going to use most of it. You're going to not use some of it. You don't know what's going to be what. Kind of like preparing for any other test, right, any blind standardized exam. You know, you know there's going to be some things on it. You know you're going to use most of it, but you're not going to use some. But you just don't know what any of, you know, you don't know what you're going to be called on to, to need. So you you got to learn it all. And mentally, I think that's the biggest hurdle for offensive linemen to clear, especially young ones. Uh, what we're going to see now against Cal and in this next few weeks or next few days, excuse me, leading up to the Cal game is we're going to have an, a young offensive lineman in there somewhere. Uh, we don't know if it's going to be Polino playing guard or if it's going to be Rodgers. We, we it's a pretty safe assumption that it's going to be heck if Spain can't play. At the tackle spot, they'll probably bump William Sweet over to the left side uh, and let Heck play the right. And I mean, if I'm Coach Cap, I'm gonna I'm gonna take these young guys and I'm gonna make sure that they feel good during the week. And I'm not gonna beat on them. I'm not gonna mess with them mentally. I'm gonna I'm gonna ease them into this week. I'm gonna try and make sure they understand the absolute basics of our game plan going into Cal. And then I'm going to roll the ball out and say, put your hand in the dirt and go play, and we'll deal with it during the game. And for the guards, for the inside guys, whoever that shakes out to end up being on Saturday, I'm going to hope that my experienced center, Cam Dillard, knows our playbook well enough and then can impart some of his however many games it's been that he started in his career experience on the guys on either side of him and bring them along with him during the week at practice and during the game itself. And just, I mean, you're kind of putting a Band-Aid on, you know, it's like you got a break in the dam and you're, you're shoving a Band-Aid on top of it, hoping the Band-Aid stays, you know, until the end of the game on Saturday. And then you can get into next week and hope you got some guys healthy and you got some guys back and you can kind of move forward with your 
at least as many of the original starting five you thought you were going to have. I think that's probably the best plan they've got. I, I haven't spoken to Cap on that, but having coached myself and played and, you know, played for many very good offensive line coaches, that's usually the, the game plan I see that they have. When stuff like this goes sideways the way it has for Carolina, that's the plan. You kind of latch on to your most experienced player, which right now is Cam Dillard, and you hope that they're able to bring along some guys and you can get the right pieces in there and they can survive long enough to get you to a win, number one, and get you into week two, number two. But the truth of the matter is all that stuff I talked about, young guys coming up, especially offensive linemen, dealing with training camp, kind of getting thrown in the fire during camp. It's long days. It's hot. You've already got enough stress on your body. You're mentally tired because it's a long day, and you're slamming your head into another human being 100 times every single day, right? you got headaches. You're cramping up. You're tired. All of that is all that starts playing in, and then you dump the fact that, oh, I don't know any of this playbook really either. You throw that on top of it, and it's kind of overwhelming for young guys. Hopefully there's one or two that we've got that can play one of these key positions where we've got a hole. Hopefully we've got one or two of those guys, and they've overcome that somehow in the last week or so. And if not, you take a guy like Khalil Rogers, who's also older, and he's played, he's played meaningful minutes in meaningful games, and he's played on both sides of the ball, and you hope that that experience he had out at Southern Cal can translate into something positive here, and maybe you end up just latching on to him, and you hope that his little bit of game experience will do something for us if it turns out he's the guy we got to throw in there at guard. He is older. He's got game experience like Cam Dillard, and you hope that maybe that plays a role. But right now I think they're kind of – and, and, and I don't think they'd be upset with me for saying this, kind of flying by the seat of their pants. That's just the reality of the situation. Now, this staff is good enough to put together a unit that will do well, but uh, I think youth and inexperience is going to play a big role in this game. And then, obviously, we followed up with Louisville and the returning Heisman Trophy winner and a very stout defense the week after. So they're going to have to figure some stuff out and figure it out quick, and some young guys are going to have to grow up a lot faster than I think they expected to. But this is what happens in college football. This is why you sign up to play big-time college football because you want to be in these positions as a true freshman. Nobody comes into college wanting to redshirt. So some of these guys are going to get that wish that they've, they've been sitting around saying, I hope I don't redshirt. Oh, I want to play. I want to play. We're going to see how serious they are about that because they're going to have to. And we're going to find out what's in that offensive line room a lot sooner than we expected. We're going to know what we're working with after about two series against Cal on Saturday. Uh- a ton of good stuff in there, Mike. I, I will say that when you ramble, it, it is solid work, brother. That was an awesome answer, <laughs> and it leads me perfectly into my question for Buck. But given the issues on the offensive line, and, and Ingersoll makes the point about Cam Dillard and even Khalil Rogers and their experience, so does that shape the starting quarterback decision? Now, I think they'll both play. They both play a lot, both being Harris and Chaz Surratt. But Brandon Harris has played. He's been out there. He's been in those games. Uh, who knows how he will react playing for Carolina, but at least he's been on the field in game situations. Does that does this some some way tangentially give him the edge on the starting role, or is a guy like Chaz Surratt's knowledge of the offense more so than Harris maybe help him? I mean. It's all together 
tied together in some form, do you think it matters the quarterback position? Well, it does it matter whether it's Harris or Surratt? Does um, the does the line issues do the line issues does that impact whether you play one or the other? No, I, I really don't think so. Probably it's a good thing that you know, Harris has experience and you know, the, the fact that he has experience might make them lean a little bit more towards him. But I, I don't really think so. I think it's going to be about you know, who's playing the best, you know, as they go through their final practices this week. Fedora said again today that they still had not uh, decided on a starting quarterback. Athletically, they're pretty similar in a lot of ways in terms of both of them can run the ball. Both of them are, you know, athletic guys that can, you know, uh, move around. You can move them out on the edge. You know, they can, they're quick enough that they can get you some yardage on designed runs. I don't think there's anything about the line situation that's really going to inform which of the two QBs that play. And I'm going to be real interested to see how that situation runs out. A lot of people say, well, they're, they're going to play, both of them are going to play, like you, you said, both of them are going to play, both of them are going to play a lot. I don't necessarily see that. You know, I, I think if you put a guy in and he's got, he gets anything like a hot hand, I don't see him making a change there. Now, I'm with you, put a guy, you know, if you put a guy in and he's not giving you what you thought you saw in practice, well, then maybe you make a change. But I, I really put a lot of emphasis on the fact that these guys, I believe, in this offense need to find a rhythm in, in what they're doing. And, and I don't think you can do that by trying to platoon them or giving one guy a couple of series, you know, and plan. We're going to bring this guy in on the third series of the whatever. I, I don't think that's the way you're going to find a rhythm. And neither one of these guys have any experience in this offense in a live game. And I just don't see you sort of adding to that confusion by mixing them up a lot. I just I just don't see that as a good plan. Maybe they'll do that, but that's not something that seems like a good idea from a common sense point of view. The example I always use with that, Buck, is if you think back to 2006, Joe Daly and Cam Sexton, I mean, a dual quarterback thing is nice in theory, but the problem is that neither guy ends up getting comfortable, and then both guys end up looking over their shoulder, and you can't play quarterback. You can't play any position in football or any other sport for that matter, but especially not that, not quarterback. Uh, looking over your shoulder and worried about the guy behind you. And, you know, if you make one mistake, you're going to get yanked and the other guy's coming in the game. And I think it ended up affecting both of them negatively. They were both solid quarterbacks. Joe did some really great things as a freshman at Nebraska. It's well-documented. And Cam was who Cam was. I mean, he was one of the top quarterbacks in the country coming out of high school. And I think both would have been very good college quarterbacks for Carolina, only if one of them would have had the comfort of knowing that the job was theirs. I think Joe, obviously, in 07, when Butch came in, ended up getting moved to receiver. He didn't even play quarterback anymore. And Cam, obviously, didn't have a fighting chance against, you know, TJ, who was the redshirt freshman. You know, the new staff wanted to have a four-year starter. Cam didn't have enough film to even make his case. So I think that type of situation ultimately ends up hurting not just the quarterbacks, but also the team. 
but especially the quarterback's development, coaches can talk about, we're going to play both guys all they want, and that's what they're going to do because right now they just don't know who the guy is. But you're right. In reality, the way it's really going to play out, somebody's going to get hot, and that's the guy who's going to end up getting all the reps. And that's the way it should be because you need that continuity at quarterback more so than any other position on the field. Uh, I'm with you, Mike. Uh-oh, I'm getting double teamed. I agree. I still think they're both going to play. And it was interesting to listen to Fedora at Monday's press conference talk about the – not the rationale, but the way they did the deal with Marquise and with Trubisky a couple years ago, Trubisky knowing when he was going to go in. Because he said the backup quarterback's the hardest position on the field to prepare for. And also your favorite position. And Tommy. it was. Yeah, my favorite position. <laughs> You kill me, Buck. It's everybody's favorite position. <laughs> but, uh, Tommy's the, a special. The, the, most popular, the, most, the most popular guy in town is always the backup quarterback. <laughs> yeah, the one that sits over there looks pretty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The one, the one that everybody thinks is better than what's on the field. <laughs> Mike, let me ask you uh, about the running back position. With the offensive line out there, again, running backs just as uh, inexperienced as anybody. And – it, it amazes me, not just the running backs, not just the quarterback offensive line, but it amazes me how inexperienced this entire offense is. Yeah, we, we, we saw the stat at the end of last season, something like 96 point something percent of our offensive output either left in the draft or graduated. You know, we got, and the, and the other, whatever it was, three and a half percent that was coming back, that's Austin Prohl. I mean, that's it, period. The Jordan Brown kid has a lot of upside and a lot of promise, but the problem is him and the other scholarship running backs have been hurt most of camp um, or unable to practice for whatever reason. And that, yeah, it gives them fresh legs, I guess you can say, going into the first game. But, you know, if they haven't been practicing, they haven't been gelling with whatever offensive linemen we do have. And they haven't been getting the experience with the playbook that they need. And they haven't been getting their bodies in game game shape. You know, training camp for as hard as it is is the only is is the closest thing to simulating game conditioning that you can possibly get. Um, and you need the full month, and you need the heat, and you need to wear on your body like that to get you ready for the game. And even then, after two quarters, you're going to be gassed. So, you know, if you don't have any training camp. You know, you can you can do the math. You can see how that works out proportionally with your with your game conditioning. But the mental preparation is also a major major component to training camp that these guys are lacking. And like I said a second ago, they don't have the they don't have the uh, the camaraderie. They don't have the comfortability with whatever offensive linemen we do roll out. You know, really the biggest thing is they don't have a comfort level established with caps blocking schemes and the way the offensive linemen are being coached up because you don't necessarily need to have the same five guys in front of you if you're a running back right to be comfortable with running the ball behind that unit you need to be comfortable with the way they're taught to block so that you can anticipate when and where the hole is going to be on whatever play is called and when the appropriate time to make the cutback is or when the appropriate time to press forward and press outside the tackle is if you're running you know, a, a, a not necessarily a swing or a a hard outside run, you know, outside zone, but more of like we used to call it 16 or 17, which is basically off the hip of the tackle. It's not your super wide outside zone that people think about. Those those types of plays are very, very, very 
they're, they're, they're dictated by timing and they're dictated by the running back understanding the way the offensive linemen are taught to block. And if you haven't been getting reps in practice because you haven't been able to practice or you've been just too far down the depth chart, you haven't gotten any, any reps in practice, you aren't comfortable with how they're taught to block. And that will have a trickle-down effect into your ability to run the ball. Now, I can sit here and be as optimistic as possible and say that I, I don't think it's going to affect them. I think they've got good enough athletes back there, especially the Jordan Brown kid. But, one, if they're not healthy, we've got a problem. And, two, realistically, game one of the season, there's going to be enough problems if you've got everyone healthy and everyone's had a full training camp. There's going to be enough stuff go wrong, enough learning curve that takes place that, that you have a whole slew of problems you're going to have to deal with on Sunday in the film room. Now you've got bigger problems because say you were going to have a dozen issues normally for any team with a fully healthy roster, go ahead and double them because now you've got guys still learning the offense blocking for the running back. You've still got the running backs learning the offense, right? Running the ball. So the run game it, it, there's going to be some there, there's going to be some stuff that's going to have to get cleaned up a lot more so than in a normal year, I guess is the point I'm trying to make. And they're going to have to deal with that, I think, more on the fly than they, than they, I mean the coaching staff, than they anticipated uh, going into training camp. But the run game is going to be a point of emphasis. So it will. it's one of those things that will get fixed just because there's going to be a volume of plays and a volume of repetitions these guys are going to get. It's going to be shoved down their throats. They're going to have to learn the run game, and they're going to have to learn how to survive by the run game because Coach Fedora has been adamant. The run is going to be a staple of the offense this year for good reason. We don't have an established quarterback, and neither of them, like you've said and like Buck has said, are very experienced in the Carolina offense. So, you know, whether they know it today or they don't, they're going to have to learn it by, by Saturday, and they're going to have to know it even better come the following week against Louisville. Buck, last question for the podcast, and – Really, not a whole lot to be said after Mike's talk. To be honest, it's, you're solid, Mike. You you picked up the game, brother. It's it's been great. I can listen to you talk all day. But Buck, is this the game, and maybe this the next couple of weeks that Fedora and his offensive staff, I mean, more than earn their keep if they if they put out a if if they get a, a vibrant, productive offense and consistent offense these next few weeks i mean that sort of answers the question any question that's out there about this scheme and this approach don't you think well it it clearly would the question is with all they've got on their plate is that going to happen and and that's a question sitting here uh on this podcast we can't answer but there are so many questions uh, I, I don't really think, you know, Mike was speaking to who he thinks you know, may um, get the most snaps at running back. I'm not sure the staff knows. Because, uh, and, and Fedora uh, talked about this to, on Monday, who has a hot hand? And and I think that's, that's what they're going to have to wait and see. They get the guys on the field. You got they're going to play multiple guys, no question. They always do. They're going to play two and three. That's no shock to anybody. But if they've got one guy out there that's making it happen over and over again, a star could be born. You never know. And the same at wide receiver. We have heard guys' names called. We saw them in the spring game. We've seen them at practice. 
We've got reports from scrimmage. But when the lights are on and the bullets are live, some guys are ready for that moment and some guys are not. And it's going to depend a lot on how these guys react in a game situation. Mike's seen it and everybody else that I know has seen it. Guys that are you know, practice wonders and everybody's all hot on them and then they get into a game and instead of rising to the moment, the, the moment's bigger than they are. And uh, so those are the things that we're going to see up and down the offense. There's only a handful of known quantities on this offense, and that's at the tight end position. Everything else is going to be up in the air. Quarterback, running back, wide receiver, and it appears now offensive line. So if they can get the put together a, a vibrant offense over the next you know two, three weeks with the pieces that they're working with now and the inexperience that they're working with now, Oh yeah, you know they will more than earn their money to be sure. Great Mike Tyson once said, "Everybody has a game plan until you get punched in the face." Well, that starts Saturday, and uh, we're going to find out a lot. I, I think Saturday tells a lot. Fedora talks about how even into the first game, you don't know what you've got. We'll find out a lot by say three thirty, four o'clock on Saturday afternoon. Mike and Buck will talk a plenty. I'm going to shut it down for this rodeo, though. So appreciate you guys joining me. Thanks, Tommy. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports, your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting.